now from a tax perspective, we used to have the ability to relatively easily pay dividends between a subsidiary company and a parent company on a tax-free basis. You're listening to The Right Club Podcast, where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. Hey, Right Club Nation. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I am here with my amazing host, Sarah Larby. What's going on, Sarah? Hello, hello. Things are going well. We have a good rhythm. We're recording these podcasts and recording them quite in advance and getting ready for some uh, nice holidays. And uh, yeah, I really can't complain. What's new with you? You are, where are you right now? Yes, yeah. So like you said, yeah, I love doing this. Love doing the podcast. We got into a good rhythm, good flow. Really, really good conversations the last few weeks and hope you guys have been enjoying that. But uh I'm up in Port Stanley, actually. So right now, it's just the uh, start of June, and we just had a uh, real estate investor social barbecue kind of tour of Port Stanley. So Port Stanley Cottages has five cottages up here in Port Stanley. And yeah, we kind of did a tour of, the, of the, the cottages and kind of talked loosely a little bit about you know what we bought it for, what we've seen so far. It's, this is our the first one we bought. Uh, this is going to be our fourth summer up here. So we talked a little bit about that, some really cool networking and some hamburgers and hot dogs hanging out on the patio. And luckily it was a really, really nice day up until now. Hasn't been too many of them, but yeah, it was a really cool event where uh, a lot of investors were kind of just hanging out, mingling and yeah, waiting for that amazing, beautiful summer weather that, uh, that we hope is coming. Right. Absolutely. I was looking at your Instagram. It looked like you guys had like what good 40, 50 people. Yeah. Both that. Yeah. It was, everybody was kind of cool. It was kind of cool because we did the little tour and everybody's kind of like wandering around like Port Stanley and kind of home base was like back here because the parking is close by and people are going to enjoying a little bit of the beach. So I think the water was still a little too cold. But yeah, walking around, there's a really cool bar and like ice cream, hamburger spot. I, I love this place, man. Port Stanley, I had no idea about four, yeah, a little bit over four years ago. And uh, now like it's one of my favorite places up in the summer. I love when it's rented. When it's not, unfortunately, I try to come up and hang out here and, and enjoy it while I can. And, and the weather's great. But uh, but that's a cool thing is like having that open mind to something. My business partner Adam, he was the he was kind of the brains behind the operation. And he was like, you know what? Like, look, look at Port Stanley. It looks like there's a lot of things going on there. There's a cottage for sale. And again, I was kind of like, oh my god, I don't know who's gonna go up to Port Stanley. I've never even heard of this place. You pay like a thousand or twelve hundred, or even now we're getting even more than that. But like a week, I'm like, they're gonna go to an all inclusive vacation. He was like, no, that's for like the whole family, right? And and thinking of that as like a business and like who your clientele was, who was going there to get away, the the location, how close it is to the beach, like so cool, so cool. Glad that I kind of took that step, and and Adam did push me to to uh, to do that. So I know, yeah, you love. Like, honestly, like we, we, were, we had a great time uh, last year at your cottage. We were up for the long weekend and had a bunch of investors and I guess like call it masterminding, but it was just having a good time and being around really good people. And George talks about it in the podcast, who you surround yourself with. And we always say that too, right? Absolutely. And speaking of George, so George Duby is our accountant for Matt and I, and he works with a lot of other real estate investors. He's also a real estate investor himself. And this is why for me and for my team... I'm a big proponent of working, whether it's your mortgage broker, your, your realtor, your accountants, to in a, 
it's important that they understand real estate investing and, and work with a lot of real estate investors, but it's even better if they are investing in investors themselves and you'll actually hear George talk, he has many different types of investments and one is like a storage unit. One is a multifamily. I mean, he is putting his money where, where I guess, you know, where he's helping other investors. He's also doing it himself, which is incredible. And I will also say that he is probably the best accountant I've had since I started this whole journey. And I've been working with him for a couple of years He's definitely helped me put the puzzle pieces together properly. Yeah. And it's definitely like, it's so much easier preparing and getting those things ready versus untangling messes, right? Like I'd rather ask a question nine different times to nine different people to make sure that I have the best way versus like, oh my God, I want to be in a rush and just to get it done just for the sake of getting it doing. I know we talk about, hey, just do things and just do things and don't worry, worry about it later. But getting the taxes and getting that stuff, corporations, all that kind of stuff, it doesn't work like that. It's got to be like like the, the, the cruise ships take longer to turn, right? So to have that stuff in order to build for the long term, you know, you can have that instant gratification right now and that, and that success but then what are you planning for in the future and george does get into that the different models and how things change so um yeah really really great podcast and yes sarah you are a huge proponent of that people that we work with are investors as well too if you're not playing the game like you don't have that mindset right it's like that it's at that point it's just like a transaction or a service and it's not to say people that don't invest you know can't do it or won't do it i'm sure you know they have their pluses or minuses too but there's a little different level of conversation of a different understanding you can read about anything but if you don't actually do it that's that last piece of applying it and learning it that's the final piece so yeah i'm pumped to get to the podcast i think we should get to it but one last thing right club nation thank you so much for for all the reviews the ratings the feedback about the podcast and the live events if you want to hear something or if you want to let us know something please we want to hear from you what you're thinking and your feedback and i know Sometimes it takes time or takes to do, please take the effort. We want to hear from you. We really care about what's going on and, and what's going on in the community and what we can do better. Right. Awesome. All right. Well said. Well, let's get on with our interview with George DB. Hey, George, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thank you. Good, good. So for those of you that may or may not know, George is my actual accountant and has helped me tremendously with all of my investments and my real estate investing. And actually this year, I got a, a big refund in comparison. Now it's not always good to get a big refund, but I wanna thank you in advance. <laughs> Happy to be part of the team. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, you gotta build your team of experts around you. So you're definitely one of the core. And so before we get started, I, I, we have a few questions obviously for you. And first and foremost, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and and how it ties into real estate. I guess on the professional side, I'm at the end of the day, I'm a tax partner and my clients are predominantly real estate investors. So they may have other business activities going on as well, but um, probably, I I don't know the exact time, but 20-ish years ago, I started working more and more with real estate investors. And then that's just um, really grown from there. One, in terms of working with other investors, and then seeing, wait a minute, if they can do that, so can I. And I needed real estate and I started off just looking for real estate for my own office. And we were able to buy an older property and making a long story short, I couldn't afford the property at the time. 
My brother-in-law needed a place to live. And so we made a deal. The accounting firm's on the ground floor. He's on the top floor. It's a mixed-use property. And anyway, the next thing you know, now I've got quite a number of properties that it just took time to develop. So it, it, all, re- it all came back to really to the real estate and the taxes. But I think what drove a lot of that growth was people looking for someone that was interested, one, personally on the real estate side, so that there was a natural incentive to be on top of all the rules and whatnot. And then from a technical perspective, being able to um, work with investors who are investing in uh, different provinces, territories, different types of properties, exit strategies, etc. And it's kind of a vicious positive circle in my mind where I get to play all the time, learn, and hopefully teach as well. Yeah. And we always say that at the right club on the podcast is we want the best people in their lane that are doing those things. And also you are investing as well too, right? We have, we have a vested interest in our own accounting and our own companies and in the things that we're doing, but you're also an investor actively investing and doing those things as well too. So you're understanding it from being in the trenches with us, along with us, right? And kind of doing it yourself saying, Hey, if it works, for them, that's how you kind of said how it got started, right? If it works for them, it could work for me. And now you're kind of we're developing and, and building almost like as a, as a big team. Everybody's got their own own lane that they're, they're working in. So, so for all the investors that you work with, and this is 20 plus years that you've been working with investors, what's like the most common thing that people just, just don't, just bottom line, just don't think about it. It's the most common thing that you maybe repeat yourself because I know in our, maybe in our businesses, we have those things, but how about, what is the accountant here? Sure. So. I think what a lot of people perhaps are not as cognizant of is they go in, they're initially saying to their advisors, this is what I want to do from a real estate perspective. And probably as most investors know, whatever they started off with a number of years ago is not what they're doing currently. It just it morphs into something else, not negative, just it changes over time. And, and so one of the big things that we see is that someone has started off, if you will, in a, a structure that works really well for them, but it's never updated or alternatively not updated frequently enough. And sometimes it's more of a, a check-in to say, hey, is, is what I'm doing okay? And that may be more from, obviously, from my side on the tax side and hopefully a little bit of practical side of things, but it also impacts on the finance and the legal insurance, et cetera. But that common, let's just take an hour and talk about what's going on. What's going on in my personal life that's also going to impact how much cash do I need for my for, for my real estate? What am I trying to accomplish with that? So at times, just with a little bit of discussion, we learned that that, that structure that was initially created, again, not that it was bad initially, it's just outdated. And so I think people have a little bit more acceptance of the fact that, oh, I, I spoke with an advisor seven years ago and it was great at the time. Well, that's wonderful, but what's it doing for you today? And that exists even with our, my own clients in the sense that, George, we talked about it five years ago and yes, we did, but really even... For example, in 2018, we had some major changes from a finance and a tax perspective that a lot of our clients, they're really going to be evolving into some of those changes over kind of, I would suggest, a five-year time period. So someone that had a structure set up prior to 2018, they may or may not really be in an optimal situation today. So I'm not trying to say they're not. It doesn't hurt to have that hour conversation and just recheck into, hey, things change. And again, whether that's a family perspective, objectives, financing, tax, legal, et cetera, life changes. 
Absolutely. So do you think a year, like just talking to you on a yearly basis is, is good or if there's major changes or like what's a good timeline? I think in most cases, talking that once a year works out marvelously. So, somebody that's exceptionally active, they've got a lot of things going on. I'm probably talking with them perhaps on a quarterly basis, for example. The average person, I think once a year is going to suffice. And it's odd perhaps, but one of the examples that I like to give goes back now probably a couple more years than I'd like to admit. But I was having a conversation with one of my clients and we were talking about, uh, she was sending her kids off to, to hockey, talking about driving there. And to make a long story short, obviously I'd worked with her for a few years, but I realized she had a different vehicle. And what I never thought to ask at the time was she actually had three vehicles for the family compared to kind of an average of two, if you will. And so we realized when I was asking for details on the vehicle, she never supplied me the mileage on this third vehicle. And it turns out we were missing $20,000 a year in deductions. And it was just something, we were talking about hockey for crying out loud. It wasn't like pure taxes, but we just, through getting to know each other, trying to understand what was going on in her life, just that odd little comment triggered this $20,000 series of deductions that now was picked up. But a great learning experience by just just chatting. And I appreciate some of it's more a little bit on the social side, it's not hardcore taxes or accounting, but if I can kind of get into somebody's head to see what, what's life like for this person, all of a sudden then let me kind of worry about the taxes. I, I just need to know what's going on. Absolutely. So I'm just curious, you're obviously specializing in helping investors and sometimes I talk to a lot of the newer people wanting to get into real estate investing or maybe they've got one or two properties and they're going to whatever other accountant that they maybe have been referred to by their parents or their friends. Why is it important that somebody really look for somebody that specializes in real estate investing versus any type of accounting? Yeah, and, and I certainly don't want to slam other accountants. That, that wouldn't be the purpose of this. But I think there's, for what I'm going to call serious investors, a huge opportunity where not just learning from, if you will, the book smarts aspect of things, but what's that practical side? And do, does your team actually have that experience? And, and I won't pretend that my team have all invested in the number of properties that we have or the types of properties and experiences, but they're accustomed to dealing with that. And so Peter, my accounting partner, if you will, that primarily deals with the majority of my clients, a vast majority, he is also an investor and we've got team members that are investors. In fact, other partners that are investors. There's just simply speaking, a completely different experience level and being able to talk to somebody about practical issues, combine that with some book smarts. I mean, the book smarts aspect of things, we're, for lack of a better word, assuming a kind of a ground level. I, I hope most advisors have that base level, but it's going to get more specialized. And, and even as an industry, we recognize that without that focus, we're going to be left behind. And so somebody that is that generalist, again, I think that's wonderful in a lot of cases, but for somebody who is looking to build their net worth such that that's going to be a major part of their life, why would you have that advisor be a kind of, for lack of a better word, a part-time advisor? And so I think people feel more comfortable knowing, yeah, George also invests. And maybe I don't invest in the same type of properties. Maybe I don't have the exact same exit strategies, 
but between what we invest in and, and then what we directly experience on a day-to-day basis, there has to be tremendous value in my mind to what's uh, added to that. And even today, for example, a, a meeting earlier this morning, and all was, the client was discussing with me what they had done a couple of days before. And I said, and it was a new client, I wish you would have told me. I mean, you just cost yourself $120,000. And it was something that was seemingly simple and innocent enough, but they were trying to do, for the lack of a better word, a do-it-yourself project. And now we're fighting this $120,000 tax bill that's going to arise. And it was simply because at the end of the day, they didn't reach out and talk to somebody that knew what they were doing. They got some advice from people. It was unfortunate advice, but um, I, I think that specialty aspect, and not that there's not other great real estate investor accountants out there, but for, for something of that nature, just as you wouldn't go to a doctor, if you've got a heart problem, why are you going to go to an oncologist or a pediatrician specifically? Why wouldn't you go to the cardiologist? And I would suggest that can be similar on the tax and accounting side. Hey, Right Club Nation, we'd like to take a short break from the podcast to introduce you to Ryan Carson, who is the leader and visionary at Carson Law. It's a firm based out of Burlington, Ontario, that provides legal services in the areas of residential and commercial real estate, corporate and business matters, estate planning, and intellectual property. Ryan has handpicked his legal and admin team who have developed an efficient process that can help with every aspect of the transaction. This includes acting on purchases, sales, refinances, receiving funding, reviewing contracts, drafting and reviewing joint venture and partnership agreements, assisting with private lending, and building the right corporate structure. Right Club Nation, you will recognize Carson Law and his team as regular attendees and loyal supporters of our monthly meetings. They possess the perfect balance of legal experience and desire to achieve client satisfaction that ensures each deal is successfully executed in a timely manner. And by the way, even though their main office is in Burlington, they have a mobile signing service that will send a lawyer to meet with clients, which is awesome. At Carson Law, you can count on their legal advice for home, for work, and for life. Now, back to the podcast. Uh, absolutely, and and we always say that even with our our tenant buyers that we're we're teaching them credit, right? We want to be we call ourselves we like to be a credit four one one, not a credit nine one one, right? <laughs> so right, so you'd rather have accounting four one one, like here's some general info, here's ask a question. I'm thinking of doing this. What's the best path to take? What have people done before me that have done these types of things? What's the best thing for me, right? And it's a four one one versus it's yes. like hey George. 911, I did this, it's too late. Can you clean this up? Like, ah, like kind of like a disaster, right? So that's the cool part is, you know, having that, and especially if you're talking about even on a, on a minimum on a yearly basis or even more, things are constantly changing. You're adapting, you're changing your own business, but all the rules, all the different things are constantly evolving. Seems like almost daily on things that are, that are happening. So, um, yeah, yeah, it is. Fun. And even on a daily basis, maybe not every day i shouldn't quite say it that way but five out of seven days i'll receive an email from if you will our head office spelling out here's all the information we've accumulated over the night in terms of the new tax rules and that takes time to understand and to go through and now as a somebody working with the advisor would you rather work with that person or somebody that reads the annual updates yeah absolutely that's a great point and you know what i do want to circle back to that because 
at one point you were talking on our stage about all of the new tax changes. And I think you mentioned 2018 and correct me if I'm wrong because I am not an accountant at all, <laughs> but there has been a lot of things that actually somewhat affect investors that we should be aware of that, right? And what are they? There's been some tremendous changes in my mind. And really that goes back to some items that have happened a few years ago, but are starting to be more so felt, if you will, but other aspects that now we're starting to tie in and here, part of the reason I think some of that practical knowledge comes into place, what's going on in the finance world. And that finance world, if, if I have a financial institution that won't give me funding for a particular project because of how my structure is created, well, that structure is probably not very useful. Despite the fact it may be wonderful from a a tax or a legal perspective, if I can't fund my purchases or refinance a property, I've got some major issues with my business. And so then it's trying to integrate, well, the government is significantly restricting how we move funds around and how we pay people, who we're going to remunerate, what what are the reasons for that, what are the justifications. And, and so a lot of these changes, while they may be frustrating, they are what they are. Now, how do we deal with them? And there are a variety of ways that we can deal with those, it, but it takes some planning beforehand and it takes some uh, conscious effort, if you will, to, to deal with them, not necessarily on a daily basis, but to, to have that game plan to say, this is how we're going to set things up. This is how we're going to operate. Now let's go forward. And not the end of the world. We may not be perfectly happy in terms of what some of those changes are. But as most people will appreciate, when one door is closed, another one is typically left open. So my job is to find the open doors. Yeah. And, you know, and George, that's funny that you mentioned that. The first experience or the first exposure that I guess I had to you was, you know, was at a, at a networking event and you were speaking and, and you know, you're sharp dressed, the bow ties, the shoes <laughs> looking good, right? So right off the bat, right off the bat, you stood up. And I remember people that I was sitting with at the table that you had worked with them, other investors, and they're like, yeah, they made a new rule because George found a way or did this thing, or I don't know if it was his video or your firm or something like that. I'm paraphrasing now. but And that's it, right? And, and that's really what you have to do is you have to play within those rules. You know what the boundaries are and adapt. When things change, hey, like you, you got to be able to change. They're not, they're not making so many combustion engines anymore, right? They're doing more like electric, right? And adapting in that sense. So awesome. Okay, so let's maybe like fast forward as the portfolio is growing. I know the first event, actually, kudos, thank you to being at our first event we had, and it was, you know, should I incorporate, right? Yes. So let's let's go from that point there, right? What are some advantages of buying properties through corporations or venture partners or, you know, the different strategies of how to buy properties yes. in terms of your own personal stuff as well? I think that in the majority of cases, people are going to benefit from using a corporate structure. And kind of some precursors perhaps to that is to say someone that's going to go out and they're going to buy one or two hundred thousand dollar properties. I think that's wonderful. They should be commended. They're better off than the vast majority of Canadians. But having a fancy dancy structure is of minimal purpose to them, at least from a tax perspective. Whereas somebody that's looking to jump into some properties, and I like to use rightly or wrongly, one of my rules of thumb, and I appreciate rules of thumbs are, are, are dangerous, but if somebody's going to acquire one and a quarter million dollars of property over the next three to five years, and I don't mean equity in the property, but I mean the property value, I think they will, in the vast majority of cases, be far better served with that corporation. The ability to be flexible with that corporation in terms of 
who gets paid, how much do they get paid, when do they get paid, can we add or subtract other shareholders or people that are sharing in the profits, much easier through a corporation in my mind. And clearly I'm not a lawyer. There's added benefits from a legal perspective as I understand it, better discussed with your legal advisor, of course, but that that corporate setup, if you will, helps set the base for some of that and that, that protection or in my mind, cheap insurance. And certainly for my wife and I, that's one of the primary reasons on that legal side is why we have the structure we do have today. The tax side of things, again, in the majority of cases, I believe that the corporation is better suited for someone. We will frequently hear the suggestion that a corporation is a poor idea for real estate investors who are looking for long-term holds. And their rationale is often, but the corporation, depending on which province we're talking about, roughly speaking, it initially charges about 50% in terms of a corporate tax rate. And that's accurate. However, what they're forgetting is that of that 50%, roughly 30% of that is a refundable tax. So my net corporate tax over time is often 20%. And if I can contrast 20% with my personal tax bracket, which for, for many investors is going to be somewhere in the, the high 30s to, to low 50s, that's a significant savings that's available. I just need to know how to play with it properly. And, and, but I can't be focused on the tax 101 course. And, and admittedly, I was just as guilty 20 years ago or so of the same thought process because drummed into my head in university was thou shalt not set up a corporation if you have investment income. It was painful. But as you get to understand it and understand not just day one's transactions, but a life cycle, all of a sudden, a completely different mindset that's developed from that. And in my personal opinion, that's where a lot of people get snagged up. Anyway, there, there's a host of other tax rules and there's opportunities to be taxed a lot closer to 10 to 13% in many provinces, particularly if, if, if I'm a JAG client, as an example, I've got my rent to own. And wait a minute, why am I spending? I don't need that 50% tax rate. I could be taxed at 12% and or, or plus or minus a couple percent, depending on the province. Well, it's pretty hard to beat 12%. And in Ontario, maybe that's going to go up a little bit. Maybe if my income level is too high, I'm going to hit 18%. Well, I can afford 18%. I'm not keen on the 50%. 18%, that's glorious. Sign me up day in, day out. I'll take that every time. So again, it's more of getting into the understanding of not just what day one's transactions are, not just what some people experience with taxes, but what's my picture? How is it really going to impact my family? I don't, with all due respect, care so much how it affects my neighbor. I want to know how it affects me. Let's be specific and not talk in generalities. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's just important because a lot of people will ask, should I incorporate? Should I not incorporate? What kind of corporation structure should I get? They hear about this three tier, then some other people hear about the management corporation. And I'm, I'm guessing it's all different. But can we just take a moment? And when you're talking to somebody, let's just say somebody has five properties, they want to get to 10 properties. And they're talking about this three tier. At some point, I think it works better than others, potentially based on the new rules, but you can tell us. And what's this management corporation and what kind of corporation? So can you talk a little bit about that? 
Absolutely. So the three-tier structure, which maybe I'm going to just define because there are different definitions, and certainly I could define other ones, but primarily it's a scenario where in a traditional example, mom and dad own the shares of a, I like to call it a, a parent corporation, which in turn owns the shares of a real estate holding company, often a property management company, or a series of real estate holding companies, depending on how large somebody's expanding to, if they have co-ventures, things of that nature. The, I guess for probably 20-ish years, I was re- highly recommending similar structures with clients. My own family situation, we absolutely had that structure or a modified version of that. Very, very, very big proponent of that. 2018 rolls around and all of a sudden, instead of recommending that structure, and I'm not exactly sure, 80, 90% of the cases, I'm down to kind of five or 10% of the cases. The rationale for that, or I guess a series of rationales perhaps, one is from a financing perspective in in that it's become much more challenging to receive financing for subsidiary corporations. I mean, it was challenging enough with a corporation, but to add a subsidiary to that, it just sent us off on a whole new plateau. And now from a tax perspective, we used to have the ability to relatively easily pay dividends between a subsidiary company and a parent company on a tax-free basis. While that still exists in a variety of situations, such as rent-to-own scenarios, it does not exist to the same degree where we have long-term holds. Now I need to think about what the nature of my business is. Does, Does this still apply to me? So certainly it can apply to certain real estate investors. It can apply to an investor that's flipping property. But maybe I've got some modified structure where I do or don't use that. There are other changes from a tax perspective where, again, now this structure, uh, quite honestly, for many people, it's outdated. And, and we have, well, I guess I use the example where the last 20-ish years, I've probably been involved in setting up 100, 200 corporations each year on average. And I'd probably be involved with setting up about two family trusts. And beginning last year, And I expect for the next few years, based on what we see in terms of uh, rules, I'm probably going to be involved in setting up, say, 50 or so family trusts each year and about 100 corporations or so. So uh, it's a huge difference. Uh, My family trust was set up last year. And so, again, I I practice what I preach. And again, a variety of reasons for that. But uh, I think that's going to be something closer to a new common structure with the exception that a lot of um, a lot of advisors aren't as familiar today with family trusts. They, back in the early 90s, we used to set them up like they were candy. Everybody had at least one of them type of thing. And for a period of time, because of rule changes, they really were unfavorably viewed. And because there are so many catches, so many mistakes that can be made to cause a real problem with them, a lot of people, a lot of advisors, just they're not familiar with them. And, and so there's a, a smaller group that can work with them. But I think that's going to become the new norm for small and medium-sized investors. So can you define exactly what a family trust is? I can try. I'm not sure I'm going to give a correct legal definition. But the way I like to explain it is that it's a, a vehicle for, again, in a traditional example, mom and dad to control assets, to control income, but not to own anything. So in theory, a a settler has created the family trust 
to say, hey, I, I want to help improve your life, if you will, and I'm going to get things started for you. And then the trustees of that trust, often two of which are mom and dad, and maybe there's a third person, and sometimes not, but uh, mom and dad as trustees, not as mom and dad, are, are going to make decisions in terms of what company should we own, and in turn, what properties should we own? Who should we give assets to? Who should we give income to? So the trustees are largely going to be now directing what's going on in a, a business and an investment life. Wow. You know what? That is such an amazing info. And I jotted down a number of you. Just the sheer amount of the corporations and family trusts, either or, I guess, like you said, it is evolving to that side. But just the amount that you're, you're working with and dealing with, like that's somebody you want on your team. Guys, <laughs> listen to that. That's experience, right? Like if we can read and learn and, and, and watch YouTube videos and courses and all that kind of stuff, but that actual last bit of knowledge comes with application and doing it and, and just George, the time that you've been doing that and understanding that and, and kind of seeing what's forecasted and adapting to what's going on is just is so crucially important. Like I can't keep up quick enough with the notes that I've been taking. So, <laughs> yeah, I can't thank you for the, uh, the amazing information and knowledge. But uh, and, and that's the other point I want to make is that it is so tailored to each individual and what they are trying to do and having that goal and having that working that backwards of what's capable and not. So yeah, like what's on what's on your horizon? What type of investments or what type of properties are you looking at? Or are you currently managing? Are you looking to get into? There's probably a couple different subcategories, if you will. But as a general comment. I'm looking for properties that have between six and 40 units. And then we're, we've relatively recently gotten into self-storage. So that has been very appealing to us. We're looking to expand on that side. But there's not necessarily something that I wouldn't consider. I, I myself have done relatively poorly, for example, with office space, unless I've had my own office there. But not to say that that's a bad investment, to say, George hasn't done well with that. Geographically, we rightly or wrongly are currently more what I would call Southern Ontario, which I'm going to define right now as Aurelia and South, and then Alberta. I, I'm, I'm a big fan still of Alberta, despite everything going on. That, that seems to me to be an opportunity, at least in my own eyes. But that's not to say tomorrow that I wouldn't invest in another area or another country but that's my current target, if you will. But I'm open to suggestions all the time. That is awesome. I, you know what? I didn't even know that you got into the storage units and the multifamily. We should have you as a, just to talk about <laughs> investing. We always have you to come talk about taxes, but you probably have tons of things that you can share about what you're doing in investing. <laughs> I, I like that. And, and, and quite in, in fairness, because of the REIT Club too, I, I'm interested in, at this point, some of the, the vacation rentals or short-term rentals uh, in, in terms of that seems pretty appetizing from a from a tax perspective because I can do different things there. Uh, there's questions I have in terms of some of the municipalities and whatnot, not, not necessarily as friendly to an Airbnb type of scenario, but there's a lot of other opportunities there. So again, something I'm not currently as knowledgeable about in my mind or knowledgeable enough about, but that's also why God created other people so I can learn from them, invest with them, et cetera. And uh, there's people smarter than I in virtually every type of field. So why not learn from them? Just as I encourage people to learn from myself, I want to learn from other people. That's, that's awesome. And you know what? We're so lucky to, to have you part of our community. And, and, and like I said, since, uh, since our first event, when we were the, 
So Right Club, and now you know I've actually evolved to the Right Club. And and it's funny that you're talking about all those different types of investment strategies. A lot of investors like to say, well, if the numbers work, but like you're the guy that the investors bring the numbers to. <laughs> to yes. <laughs> right? If the numbers, if they, George, do the numbers work? So that's that's kind of a cool insight. Why? Why you're kind of open to a different couple of things and, and different strategies, but yeah, with, with some main focuses and acquiring more knowledge. Yeah, that's fantastic. Sarah's got a question. So I have a few questions. Sorry, George. Oh, I'm okay. actually so I have a, a few things I want to talk about. So okay. okay. So let's just say I want a corporation. I want to go back to that for a second. We'll get into the lightning round soon, but you know, like it's really hard to get you one-on-one or two-on-ones. <laughs> so I have a couple other questions. When it comes to costs of setting up a trust or setting up a corporation, what you need to do on an annual basis and how you do it, what does that look like for somebody thinking about getting into it? I can't speak what everybody else's charges, although I've got a pretty good idea because obviously I occasionally have a drink or play golf with other accountants and lawyers, etc. But what we typically see in terms of setting up a corporation, at least on my side, I like to be involved with that process so that I prefer to be able to send a letter to the lawyer to say, here's what I'm looking for from a tax perspective. And, and to, to be able to put a little bit of business aspect to that as well. And I, I would like to have the ability to review the draft articles of incorporation before they're finalized, essentially ensuring that the accountant and lawyer are on the same page before we finalize something as compared to two years after the fact, one of us comes back and says, gee, I wish I would have known what you were doing. I would have done a little bit differently. So I never want to have that discussion, of course, with a client. So I'm going to ding somebody 850 bucks for that, for the most part. And and everything's plus taxes. And there, there's a BDO, for example, has a 6% admin fee. And what I'm going to call extra communications where that's applicable. Usually not, but sometimes it is. The the lawyer, again, depends on the law firm and a variety of things, but by the time you're kind of what I would call all in, meaning you've taken care of the minute books and all the registration fees, et cetera, et cetera, you're looking kind of at that $1,600 area for setting up that company. It can be a little bit more where somebody, for example, is a, a doctor and setting up a professional company and they need to register with their respective provincial medical boards, et cetera, colleges and have registration fees. But for the real estate investor, that's typically the numbers they're looking at. Where somebody is setting up a family trust, and again, this number tends to be a little bit more variable because family trust can do quite a number of things and we can have a, a number of discussions with respect to those. But I would say on average, Somebody is going to be in the neighborhood five, six thousand dollars to set up that from our side because there's quite a number of meetings, quite a bit of work involved with the process. They're probably going to get an invoice from the lawyers, say in the thirty five hundred dollar area for putting everything together. Let's call it ten grand to be kind of kind of round off the numbers. It's a significant cost. It's a one time cost, but it's it, it's not light in terms of that cost. Now. It may be saving hundreds of thousands of dollars, but, but it's not necessarily something that everybody's going to jump into all at once. It may be something of my meetings today, for example, I think three of my meetings I had recommended the family trust be created in the next five years as compared to this is mandatory. We set it up today. The ongoing costs. And again, here there's different assumptions that are in place, but for probably our average client that's investing in some properties to, to have a, a corporate tax return prepared, uh, corporate financial statements and what we call a notice to reader format, 
they're and assuming some reasonably good bookkeeping, they're looking at eighteen to twenty two hundred dollars. If they've got a number of joint ventures, we need to touch up the bookkeeping, et cetera. It's potentially a little bit more than that. A family trust in terms of annual costs, they are typically no higher than a corporation and often a little bit lower. But the because of some recent budget changes, what we used to be able to do is in many cases have that cost effectively zero or very, very minimal. That ability is uh, basically going to get phased out very, very shortly. So we're probably looking at a minimal figure of 800 bucks or so, but potentially if we need a formal set of statements going up to that 18 to $2,200. So it's not that it's what I would call cheap to do and where the requirement of looking to say, okay, what do I get out of this? And in my mind, for the majority of investors, if over a reasonable period of time, we can't save somebody at least three times what we charge them, uh, they should fire us and they should go elsewhere because we're not doing our job at that point. No, that's a great point. And because when I first started, it was in my own name and in Matt's name. And then we had this like corporation that you didn't set up, somebody else set up and we weren't even really sure how to do it. And then I think we set up like three or four <laughs> recently in the past year, I think with you. Now, when I look at this, as an average rule of thumb, and I know that there's no like set defined amount, but like how many properties would you recommend per corporation or maybe it's a total value per corporation? I like the dollar value idea because that, that for example, one of my clients today, they're investing in Saskatchewan is a very different average door price than Toronto is again, another example, but rightly or wrongly, it's a huge rule of thumb. I appreciate I look for that one and a quarter million dollars over a three to a five year time frame. And rightly or wrongly, once somebody's kind of hit that three million ish dollar number, let's go on to corporation number two. And not necessarily that there's a tax advantage to that, but it, but it's more of that business protection practical side of things and then and, and chatting with different lawyers. Not that we can't find people that disagree with those rules of thumb, but it, it seems to be a what I'll call a reasonable consensus, but, but it's something that's going to over time increase. And a big reason for my thought process is that over time, most of the real estate investors are looking to pass along assets to the next generation. And so I know that that one and a quarter million dollars is going to grow to a very, very different number 20 years from now. And so now I want to be prepared for that. I don't want all the eggs in one basket, essentially. Absolutely. Now, Obviously, because we booked you for a half an hour, I will say we probably should go to the lightning round, but I could keep asking questions. Like I have so many questions even about like people investing in the U.S. We'd have to have you come back and talk about investing in the U.S., investing in different countries. That would be really interesting. (laughs) We're going to call this the Right Club Podcast with George Dubay, part one. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, And that's the cool part, guys, is. George is, yeah, actually, is that right called events too? So you get to meet him and see him as well. Definitely. But, but yeah, just because yeah. we, we do want to respect your time, George, let's, let's get to the lightning round. But a really quick thing, undercover MVP of like businesses is the bookkeeper. Like, honestly, like receipts, oh my God. Like <laughs> receipts and Excel sheets. Like send, like if that's like, if I'm a bad person, that's where I go. That's like Excel and, and <laughs> so bookkeepers. Thank you out there if you're listening. Uh, absolutely, they're, they're, they're worth their weight in gold, no question. Absolutely, absolutely. So, all right. So yeah, let's get started with uh, the lightning round. Are you ready, George? I am. <laughs> all right, okay. all right. I think I am. <laughs> it's now time for the lightning round. 
This week's lightning round is brought to you by Daniel St. John. Do you think using other people's money is a strategy for other people? Not you? At Safe and Sound Real Estate Investment Group, Daniel's been teaching people just like you how to use other people's money for almost 10 years. To find out more, go to www.sasrig.com. That's www.sasreig.com. And download your free copy of the special report, Arms Length RSP Mortgages, Canada's Best Kept Investment Secret. You'll be amazed at how you can leverage other people's money to help you finance as many real estate deals as you want. So question number one, George, what is the best advice you've ever received from another investor or at a networking event? I've liked the idea of, and there's, there's different versions of this, and, I, and I've heard you speak of it as well, where who are your five best friends? Who do you spend the most time with? And not necessarily strictly from a financial perspective, although that's part of it, and I, I get the statistics, but as well, that mindset in, in terms of how do I want to be thinking? Who am I learning from? Am I doing things that I perhaps shouldn't be doing and I'm kind of being poorly influenced or am I being positively influenced? And I, I think that can be huge, multiple levels for, to my knowledge, everybody that's, that's around. So I, I would really keen people into that thought of be around positive people, be around people you're learning from, that you want to be around. And that's not to say you can't spend time with other people and family members and things of that nature. And hopefully some of the family members are the, the positive. But as we know, as real estate investors, that's not always the case. It's the, uh, it's the environment that we put ourselves in to grow or not to grow. Or well, I really, I honestly, I don't think there is maintaining. It's either you're growing or you're not, right? Like, or you're receding. So, but uh, yeah. So next question of the lightning round, number two, what is your favorite real estate investing resource? And this may seem like a cop out perhaps, but, but I actually truly believe it. And I don't know if any of your prior guests have, have mentioned this, uh, but uh, to me, it's my mind. And I encourage people to be thinking for themselves, not abdicating the responsibility, let somebody else think for them, truly test, truly learn, go into scenarios. I, I want to be learning, and, and whether that's I'm reading, I, I'm listening to my podcasts and YouTube, positive sources of information, I'm going to networking events, etc. But I'm, I'm also challenging what I hear, not specifically a confrontational manner, but I want to learn. and. If I all I do is accept what somebody else tells me, I wouldn't even be nearly where I am today, and I, I don't think most real estate investors are. So I think, in my mind, the the most positive and most important tool that people have is their own minds. Absolutely, very well said, and you are the first to say that, so it is great. So, George, question number three: What is the one attribute that has made you most successful? This was the easiest of the questions, to, again, because I've listened to the podcast before. And undeniably, that's my wife. And nice. she has been the absolutely positive, a positively most important attribute. And whether that's from a, that confidant, the, the personal aspects of that relationship, the business aspects, the support over uh, this year, we're celebrating our 25th anniversary. And so over that time and our pre-time together, Absolutely, positively, no doubt in my mind what the most important aspect of, um, I, I don't want to say my relation, but, but really my life in terms of business, personal, family, et cetera, side of things. Absolutely. And I'm sure sometimes the, 
the sanity during uh, maybe towards the end of April, right? <laughs> yes, no, no question whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Every time that comes around, right? So that's why golf, golf season starts after, which is fantastic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> after the Masters. But uh, all right. So the last last question of the lightning round. It's uh, it's a Sunday morning. What are you doing on a typical Sunday morning? So so most Sunday mornings I will have um, kind of a kind of a two part thing. So one is I've probably finished running, so I, I'm I'm trying to run on the weekends. So usually a Saturday or a Sunday morning, and then I'm at mass with my family for uh, the remainder of the morning. And, and so for me, again, sometimes we go to Saturday night mass or what have you, but um, Sundays are in my books for my family. And so that's going to be partly taking care of myself and then spiritually taking care of the family and myself for sure. But they're perhaps quote unquote boring, but uh, exciting for me. Amazing. Sounds like a great Sunday morning. So George, if our Red Club Nation, our listeners wanted to reach out, get to know you, have lots of, you know, I'm sure they have lots of questions about taxes. Where can they go? So one is then go to a right club meeting. And while I won't pretend to be at all of them, I think I'm uh, at least at the, the majority of those. But they're, they're certainly welcome to reach out to me via email, which is probably the best way of getting a hold of me. For ease of memory, it's probably easiest to give my George Doobie at georgedoobie.com email address. And from there, I can certainly direct them to the, the BDO address and what have you. But easier to remember the George Doobie at georgedoobie.com side of things. And I perceive that the email is the best way of getting hold of me, if not at a meeting. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Amazing, George. And you know what? You shared so much knowledge, so much information with us. We can't thank you enough. Any last words of advice or anything else that you would like the, the Right Club Nation to hear? From my side, I think to a large degree, people can get uh, caught up in the real estate, et cetera. And, and, and whether that's real estate, whatever, pick your business, investment, family activities, but answer the, and certainly I've heard the two of you speak of this, answer your why. Why are you doing this? What is going on? Am I actually doing these activities for something that I'm looking for? Is it furthering me closer to what my end objectives are, whatever those may be? Is From a tax perspective, is my structure helping me get to where I want to, to be? Spiritually, business-like, investment-like, family-like, what's my why? And to me, where I can, I mean, it's very, very easy for us to get sidetracked. And I think that happens uh, very frequently, at least in my life. But if I can get back to the why, relatively quickly, I can find my way back to uh, a, a reasonable path and talk to the people that I need to talk to. Amazing. Don't forget the why. That's it. Don't forget the why. Thank you so much, George, for being on the podcast and providing some great insights. And guys, come out to the right club. Talk to George. Trust me, you do not want to make a very expensive decision by hiring the wrong accountant or making the wrong move before talking to the right accountant. So thank you so much, George, for being on the show. A complete privilege for my side. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. So I learned a ton that I didn't even know. And for me, when I talk to George, he's like a wealth of knowledge. And I literally, and I know we said this was going to be part one <laughs> of potentially part two, three, four, who knows? Cause there's always new questions and there's so much that we need to learn about this or not learn, just hire the right person. But there's so much to know that it's just so important to, to keep digging. And George, I'm sure we'll be back again. And he's at the right club. And guys, if you have specific questions, 
that you didn't get to hear that you would have liked to hear. George is at our Right Club events, and he's probably come to, I don't know, three quarters of them or most of them anyways. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the value that, you know, that we're trying to create and trying to provide that, you know, there are amazing professionals like George sitting in the room, being able to tailor to a solution, maybe not right there in the room, but to set up a future focus or if there's like a question that maybe has been like a burning issue, right? And he talks about that, that ongoing consistent maintenance. Listen, if you don't put gas in your car, if you don't change the oil, if you don't like eat exercise properly, like stuff's going to break down, right? Like things aren't going to work out. So what makes you think that your business is any different? You need to constantly maintain it and take care of it. Yeah, that's a good point. And you know, as he was talking through some things and saying it's nice to revisit every year or two, I was just thinking that it's probably time that we actually book another hour meeting with him to go through this year and moving forward. Because I, I think the last time, I mean, I talked to him a lot, but the last time that we really sat down and looked through our goals and and decided whether or not there were changes to be made, I think it's uh, it's good to do it every single year. And that was great, great advice and something I need to start implementing. And that's the key thing is that we you know we are all real estate investors right and but each of us you know like we're like snowflakes together when we get together for the right clubs we're like a snowstorm but each of us are like snowflakes where we all are a little bit different right everything is key different we are investing in real estate but there's different strategies there's different amounts of portfolios there's different setups there's different joint ventures there's different ways of, of doing it so you really need to make sure that it is tailored to you and there's no easy way around it like unless you go and you fall and you got to figure it out on your own but why not when you have that availability that capability to go and talk to somebody and say hey this is what i'm thinking go get 10 20 50 opinions hey man but you got to eventually do it figure it out and see what's best for you and, and having the right people and the professionals on your team that's key that's what we want to incorporate at the right club having the best of the best the people that are there literally talking and investing with each other right george storage units Right now, thinking, getting more knowledgeable about the vacation properties. Right, so like that's the cool part is that we're all on that journey together. Absolutely, and you want your team to be smarter than you and have better expertise than you. Like I love being not the dumbest because I don't think I'm dumb, but the one that has the least expertise. Like my mortgage broker, I want them to be able to know everything possible about real estate investing and mortgages, just like my accountant, I want him to know everything possible. I mean, of course you can't know everything all the time, but I, I, I want to be able to say, what do I need to do for this? And then have them all work together. Cause ideally they all kind of know each other and provide the right guidance. And then I basically listen to all the different opinions and then take action on it. And it's just so important that I am not the wisest. I am not the smartest. And that I, but I do want to have the best team in place. And George is a huge part of that for me. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what? And with, uh, yeah, with that being said, you know what? We want to, we want to hear from you, right? Club nation. We want to hear more stories about the amazing people in the part of our community. If you're an expert, a subject matter expert in your field, let's hear it, man. Let's talk to you. Let, let's figure it out. Let's, let's share that knowledge with as many people as we can. And thank you so much, uh, Sarah, for uh, for keeping driving me going, keeping me motivated, and you know, and now I'm hanging out in the cottage doing the podcast. So uh, yeah, this is awesome. And, and as we continue to grow together, grow our listenership, grow our community, and just grow our knowledge base, and just make each other better. That's the fun part about doing this. That's it, Alfonso. Thank you, Right Club Nation. Thank you, and thank you for growing with us. See you guys next week. 
Thanks for listening to the Right Club podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at therightclub.com, where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.